Good morning, everybody. No response? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this morning, uh, the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And you will find it on page uh, 947 of the Pew Bible or on the screen behind me. And the title is... Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ, starting from verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separated from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and he destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This was the word of God. Well, it's lovely to see you all. Thanks for coming this morning. And if you're on live stream, thank you for joining with us. Uh, this morning, I'm talking about oneness in Christ. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are far more willing to give us grace than we are to come before you to ask for it. We thank you that you are far more willing to forgive us than we are to ask. We're sorry that so many concepts we have of you are not right. They are formed according to our world rather than according to what you say in your scriptures. We thank you this morning for grace and mercy that's available to us as we read your word we thank you for the throne of grace that we can approach 
to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We thank you for your majesty that you know all of us. You know, as Jane prayed, in the messiness of our lives. And you're graciously working out your purposes. So we thank you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and life that is found in him. And we thank you for your word that feeds us and grows us. Help us this morning, we pray. Amen. I haven't written this down, but as I grow older, I get more emotional. And I'm feeling emotional this morning. So if I cry, just carry on. <laughs> uh, again, I haven't written this down, but I was at a prayer meeting once and we were praying for a, a country where there have been a lot of problems. And I started praying and just, I started crying, which I don't normally do, but... Anyway, I am now 65. Uh, my, uh, my wife, Elizabeth, began a, a new job last year with a small organisation that cares for widows and orphans and trafficked girls in countries like India and Bangladesh and Indonesia. She told me of one Bangladeshi girl uh, it's not her name, but I'm going to call her Jo. She was rescued at the Indian border. A relative had taken Jo, told her to come with her, and when they got to this place, the relative said she needs to go to the toilet, but she never returned. And Jo, understandably, Worried and distressed, some people appeared and said they could help. So she went with them. They took her to a house where she was locked up for four days. At some point they came and got her and they took her to another house where there was another girl and again they were locked up. And then someone came and took them on a motorbike to a woman who was on a road. While they were waiting with this woman, her life gone now. I can't imagine what that was like. Some people, some people were passing by, some strangers. And the woman said to the girls, here's a biscuit, be quiet. Well, Joe bit the woman's hand. She ran to the strangers and she blurted out what had happened. And the girls were taken to the police where they are now safe. And Joe has a bright future because she's in a home that cares for her now. Before this group of strangers almost miraculously came along. Joe was without hope. She'd lost all hope. Her life was hopeless. She'd lost everything. 
that after her rescue, there was a future. There was life. There were things to look forward to and enjoy. Before and after. Paul, as he wrote to Ephesian believers, uses this before and after contrast in Ephesians chapter 2. He does it in speaking to non-Jews, people who are outside the Old Testament covenant. In a sense, he's speaking to us. And he says before, before, this is in chapter, the beginning of chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That was before. But in verse 4, there's after. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Before and after. And verses 1 to 10 show what God did to address our hopeless state. And he saved us and made us alive in Christ. And verses 11 to 22, in a similar contrast, go on and speak about being saved from God's wrath, but also rescued from broken relationships and being excluded. I guess we've all experienced broken relationships in one way or another. It's prevalent in our world. We see it played out in the royal family. We see it with the devastation between Ukraine and Russia. We see it on the news between the Premier and the Transport Minister. It's sad, and yet it's a reality of living in this world. We are selfish, self-centred human beings. The last place it should happen is between Christians. And yet, often it does. Christians have been reconciled together in Christ. He has brought us out of a hopeless situation where we had no power, but now brought into a relationship where not only we've been reconciled to God, but we've been reconciled to one another. Today I want to base this message on three words. It's really four words, but three main the word, and they all kind of begin three sections in this passage. The first one is remember. The second one, which is two words, but now. And the third word is consequently. Remember. Remember that you were outsiders. As Paul paints this before image, he uses words like remember, at that time, and once. He's writing to people who aren't Jews, people who are outside the covenant. So he uses the pronoun you. People who aren't Jews. 
he says, therefore, this is verses 11 and 12, or 11 to 13, remember, therefore remember that formerly you are a Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by hands, by human hands. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gentiles. The word Gentiles literally means nations. It was the nations who weren't Jewish. That's how the Jews referred to them. And they were outside of God's covenant that he made with Abraham from whom the nation of Israel came. And he reiterated that numerous times through Israel's history. In Genesis, when God called Abraham, he made promises about a land, about becoming a great nation, and about being blessed and being a blessing. And the indication that the Jews were committed to the covenant was this concept that God gave as a sign of male circumcision. And male circumcision showed that the Jews were committed to obeying the covenant God had made. But being in the covenant also brought this expectation and this anticipation that a Messiah or Christ, Messiah being Jewish word, Christ being a Greek word meaning the same thing, that, that this Messiah would come and reconcile all things. Of course, those who weren't Jews, those who were Gentiles, didn't see themselves as outsiders. And yet they needed rescuing because as verses 1 to 10 talk about, they were in a hopeless position. But Jews who had the covenant also needed rescuing because while they'd been given God's covenant, they hadn't obeyed it. When I was, uh, I think I was probably 18, maybe 19, uh, I, I had my licence, I hadn't had it for, well I had it for a year or something, and I decided that, I, I lived at home, but I decided I was going to go down to the south coast for a few days by myself. Uh, I went, got down to Milton, and I decided that uh, I had this yeah, old, old Corolla. Um, I decided that I'd drive closer to the water. I'd gone down this, um, this road, there were houses on one side, kind of bush on the other, and there's a pathway down to the water. So I kind of parked near the pathway. There were some other cars around, so I, I got as close as I could, not realising it was actually sand. I came back... I don't know much about cars. I know nothing about cars being in sand. And I start to try and reverse, and I don't go anywhere. 
I know the wheels are turning, but I'm not going anywhere. I was ignorant about cars being in sand. But that didn't stop me, even my ignorance didn't stop me from being in a hopeless situation. What do I do? I don't know anyone. People were walking past looking at me and I felt an outsider. I felt a real goose. I just wanted to swallow the sand to swallow me up. Thankfully, a guy across the road who'd been looking at me for some time, probably having a laugh, came across and said, I'll give you a hand. Uh, and he got his four-wheel drive and put a, something on and he pulled me out. Even though I was ignorant, I was still in a hopeless situation. Even though Gentiles did not see themselves as outsiders, and yet they still needed to be rescued, as Jews did also. Or we could talk about Joe, who I began this, the sermon with, who thought that she was with family, going with this relative, but she soon realised she was in a hopeless situation and she had become an outsider. All of us, Paul says, are without hope and without God. We may not feel an outsider. In fact, most Australians wouldn't feel outsiders, I would think. We have control over our lives. We can rescue ourselves if we get into problems. And yet, we are deluded. We control very little in life. We can't control other people. We can't control other drivers. We can't control what our bosses do. We can't control our own health. I can't control what's happening inside my body. Only God's spirit can open up our heart to see who we really are, help us to see who we are, that we're people like Joe was, but in a spiritual sense, without hope. And so Paul says, remember, remember who you were. The trouble is, for Christians, we easily forget we forget what it means to be outside of Christ. We've become so used to being Christians. So I think a worthwhile prayer is, God, show me how sinful I really am and how competent Jesus is to rescue me. God, show me how sinful I really am. If you're like me, often I think, well, I'm not going too bad. And in some areas of life, that's right. But I'm an expert at minimising what it's like before God. Show me how sinful I am. 
and how competent Jesus is to rescue me. Remember, but now, Paul says, but now we have been brought near by Christ's death, from verses 13 to 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by, set, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And if we read through those verses, we notice that twice the pronoun changes. It's no longer you, but it's we and our. Christ, interestingly, Christ not only bought peace, but Paul says he is our peace. Christ is our peace, making us right with God and with each other. This peace was for Gentiles, those far away, and for Jews, those near. We often think of peace as an absence of conflict or an absence of stress. We long for peace in Ukraine. Or we might say, I just need some peace and quiet. But peace in the Bible sense means harmony, well-being, wholeness in every sphere of life. Right with God, right with others, right with myself, right with the environment, right with other cultures, right in every aspect of life. And so peace is not fundamentally found in dealing with causes of stress, but Paul says it's found in looking and resting in Jesus. He's the one who brings wholeness in our lives and relationships. Uh, if you're my vintage, you may remember a book by Don Richardson or was made into a film called Peace Child. Uh, Peace Child told the story of a man called Yay, Y-A-E. He was a native Sawi in West Papua who formed a relationship with a neighbouring tribe, a neighbouring village. He learned too late that his friends were cannibals who betrayed him and killed him. And as was the practice, the Sawi tribe took revenge and caught one of the other tribe's people and killed them. And on and on it went. Well, a couple, Don and Carol Richardson, had come to the area as missionaries and they made their home amongst the Sawi. Don Richardson told stories of the Bible, but he came to realise that the Sawi saw Judas as a hero because how he portrayed Jesus. 
After more and more killings, the Richardsons finally announced that they, they were going to leave the area until peace came. Well, the Sawi were desperate for the Richardsons to stay because of what they were doing and how they were helping them. And so both villages held what was called a peace child ceremony. The chief of the Sawi tribe gave the other chief his own newborn son. That child now belonged to the new chief, belonged to a new tribe, and as long as the child lived, there would be peace between both tribes. And Richardson seized upon that concept and called Jesus the perfect peace child. As that child in West Papua brought an end to hostilities between warring groups, so Paul says Christ destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall. And Paul uses these two words together for emphasis. Barrier refers to a, a middle wall, a middle wall in a house or a middle wall between two different houses that have a joining wall. Or dividing refers to a fence that keeps something out. And what kept the Jews and Gentiles separate was the law, Paul says, with its commands and regulations. Because when God gave the law, there was a holiness component that did not allow Gentiles to come into the temple, that kept Jews from eating certain types of foods and from wearing certain types of clothing. But Christ's death now had dismantled that barrier by fulfilling the law and nullifying the consequences. Jesus' death brought death to the dividing wall. In verses 1 to 10, our relationship with God is reconciled. In verses 11 to 22, our relationships with one another, because of Christ's death, are reconciled. And what is amazing is that this peace is not achieved by the Gentiles becoming Jews nor the Jews becoming Gentiles. But God actually creates a whole new humanity where Jews and Gentiles both are in Christ. I once married a couple. Um, the groom's name, the surname was Arms. And the bride's surname was Berry. They contemplated the name that they would use. What, what would the bride take on for her name? Rather than the bride taking the groom's name, nor the groom taking the bride's name, they formed something completely new. They were Armsbury. God created a new humanity. You know, we all have idiosyncrasies. 
most of which we don't realise we have, but other people see that we have. We all have idiosyncrasies that make us different. We all come from a culture. We all have a mother tongue. And yet in Christ, we all have access to one Father and one Spirit, through one Spirit. The home group that I'm a part of includes several nationalities. Uh, almost half of the group would say that English would not be their first language, although many of them speak very good, language, uh, very good English. It's wonderful hearing some of them for whom English is not their first language, trying to read out the Bible as we might read a verse going around a circle, trying to read in English. But there's one man who can understand English, but it's a struggle for him to read in English. So he reads in Greek. And we all follow along in our Bible. We know we don't, want, don't know what he's saying. But there's this lovely sense of inclusion that he's able to speak in his own language as we read the Bible together. There's no barrier. As there's one Bible used by one spirit to bring us to one Father. Consequently, consequently you are fellow citizens with God's people. Those who trust in Christ's reconciling work are no longer outsiders. In this section, the pronoun again returns to you, emphasising that these Gentiles were now included. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It is through Christ's death we are members together in God's family. And while that does not prevent us, prevent us from experiencing disappointment or trauma or different expectations or grief, we have the foundation of God's word which the apostles and prophets preached and the spirit used to convict, to rescue and to grow us. And Paul moves from the metaphor of household to building. So we have Christ as the cornerstone on which the whole building is aligned from and gains its stability and strength from. And we, together we become a holy temple where God dwells by his spirit. The temple was where people met God and God met with people. The word dwell contains the idea of 
settling down, making, making where we live into a home that reflects those who live in the home. If you own a home, or even if you rent a place, maybe you change things around to make it suit who you are. If you're allowed to, you may do repairs and renovations. You may add new things. There's a sense of becoming something that reflects who the people are who own or who live in it. And in and through us together, individually, but here in this passage, together, God makes his home so that we reflect him to one another and the world. So it's a good question to ask, does God feel at home with us? Does this home, who we are as people together, reflect him? Over time, we should be growing to be like a home where God dwells and his spirit is transforming us. I want to leave you three questions based on those three words. Remember, do you wonder at the gospel and recall your desperate need which leads to praise and thanksgiving? Or has the gospel become mundane to you? Has the gospel become just something ordinary? Secondly, but now, is Jesus bringing harmony and wholeness in all aspects of your life? Or do you allow others' actions to create a barrier which Christ's death already dismantled? Is there friction that you allow to divide you and somebody else? Because the Lord Jesus does not appreciate that. He pulled the barrier down so there would be oneness. What right do we have to put it up again? Thirdly, do you celebrate God's family and allow scripture to build God's character in you so that we are ministering to each other and to the world? Three questions. Hopefully, well, they are on your, on your outline, which you may want to reflect on. I'm going to pray. Now, Father, we do need your spirit and your word to keep opening up our eyes to see how hopeless we were or are without Christ. We're sorry that we can take your gospel and it just becomes something that is routine to us. 
Thank you for rescuing us from a hopeless state and giving us a glorious future. We do pray that we would take the Lord Jesus' incomprehensible sacrifice that has reconciled us to you, but also reconciled us to each other. May we take our love for the Lord Jesus to such an extent that we are willing to sacrifice our own pride and our own hurt in order to maintain the relationship that we have because of who the Lord Jesus is and what he has torn aside in that barrier. And may we as your church grow in reflecting you in how we live and think corporately, how we do what we need to do as a church, how we treat one another, how we minister to our community, how we reflect and participate in your mission to our world. Would you please help us to see how sinful we really are and how beautifully competent Jesus is to rescue us. Amen.